0: Coming up on The Media Project, Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Armao, and me, Rex Smith, with commentary on the latest in the news media. We'll be talking about the different reactions to that Supreme Court leak. It was a scoop. Was there an ethical question about it? We'll talk about the dangers to journalists throughout the world and about how even the digital innovators are finding difficulty sustaining journalism. Those topics and more on The Media Project coming up next. They
1: wallow in corruption.
0: they wallow in... This will be the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis on media issues confronting us. I'm Rex Smith here in the WAMC studios where we don't yet have Rosemary Armeo, who is scheduled to be here, but we're sure she will show up within a few minutes. Alan Chartok is here and Ira Fussfeld, and so we're going to go ahead and eventually, Alan, we'll hear from Rosemary. We'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. We'll try to carry on without her. Yeah, do what we can. So, gentlemen, since it's just us guys here... We've been, in all of us, in positions of leadership. Alan, you're still the CEO here. Ira has a longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston and affiliated publications. And I'm Rex Smith of, I told you that, a formerly editor of the Times Union. Put yourself, Alan, in the shoes of John Roberts, the Chief Justice. You've had this leak that has gone to the media. Will you be ticked off about it? What would you do about it? What do you think about this leak?
2: Well, I do think I would be ticked off about it if I were him. It is a tough thing when you're the chief administrative officer of any group. You've done it, Rex. Ira, you've done it. I've done it. Rosemary has done it. And you have to make sure that you heard the cats correctly. The problem here, as we are sitting here facing the Roberts dilemma, is what do you do when you're the chief justice You basically are a conservative. You were appointed by the Republicans, and yet your court is in disarray, and there's a real problem. So that's where we are sitting right now, I think.
1: Well, look, it's infuriating to have a leak in your organization. On a much lesser scale, I've, I've experienced it at my place when I was in charge. It drives you crazy Depending on how serious it is And you want to find out Who the leaker is So I don't think There's any question That Roberts must be upset And concerned about How this happened And I I think At some point in time We will find out Who the leaker is Maybe it'll be sooner Or later Maybe it'll take As long as it did For us to find out Who Deep Throat was In the Watergate era But boy I just think This is a far lesser Concern to the country Or at least it should be Than to the actual Draft opinion That has been leaked And what that means for this country, men and particularly women of this country. That's the real story. And I'd be interested not not only to hear that Rosemary answer the same question that Alan and I just did, but whether or not you think the media is putting a disproportionate amount of coverage Mm. on this leaking issue.
0: I agree. Rosemary Mayo is here. What do you think, (laughs) Rosemary, about this I I
3: think right-wing politicians and Republicans at large are trying to make the leak a bigger story than it really is to deflect from, A, the potential ruling itself, and January 6th. It's coming down the middle of really some incredible revelations about January 6th, and we haven't heard them for the past two days because we've been talking only about the leak. It's doubtful that a federal law has been violated. There might be like stealing government property, maybe. It could be Alito who did it, for all we know. I think the leak is a story. I want to know who it is. I'm curious. But to me, the story is the decline of rights in this country. Greg Abbott has now announced that he wants the Supreme Court to look at a law from 1982 that requires the state to pay for free public education for all children, even if they're the children of illegal immigrants. Isn't that funny? Every law we don't like from the past, what, 50 years will now, be recreated, brought again before the Supreme Court, that to me is a story. And I think the press actually, from what I've seen, is covering both. If you exclude Fox News and Breitbart, which are exclusively on the leak, oh horrors, there's been a leak.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine that there is an ethical breach On the part of any journalist, this seems to me to be straightforward and good admirable journalism to actually get ahead of the story and to try to find out what's going on in the Supreme Court. Credit to Politico, to the reporters Josh Gerstein and Alexander Ward, who actually obtained this draft majority opinion. It's unusual, but the pearl clutching about the leak that you hear on the right is, I think you're exactly right, is a, an effort
3: to distract. Yes. And here, and here's another concern. This appears to have been a leak from a source to a reporter. So the, the court is outside the rules set up by the president that really kind of protects, at least under Biden, protects the press from undue, looking into their records, undue, you know, digging into their phone records and all that sort of stuff. The court could very well do that. And then you have another whole legal issue. And I don't think the right wingers will be clutching their pearls over uh, abusing press rights. So that's really disturbing as well.
2: Well, you know what disturbs me about you people? I say that you know, with quotations around it. Is that <laughs> as reporters and as press people, you are forever, you know, defending anything that the press does. Now somebody hands the press this leak. And once again, it redounds to the question as to whether the Press itself has done anything inappropriate in yeah. grabbing it and publicizing yeah, it. Yeah,
3: Pointer was saying that. Should the should Politico have have reported this? They got it they have the documents, should they really have done it?
0: Oh, I think they came well, down on the side of yes, they should. I, that, I, no, no, I think you're misstating what the, what Pointer is doing. They raised the question and answered it, yes, it was entirely appropriate. They said, well, it would be nice if they were able to tell us a little bit more about it, but as long as the document holds up as authentic, Kelly McBride at the Pointer Institute says, oh, yeah, they're on solid ethical ground. Uh, yeah, I'm,
3: I'm not quoting Kelly. She did say that. Yeah. But even that the question is being raised, that would not have taken one minute of consultation had I been the editor or a reporter brought that in i'd be like how do we know it's true right how'd you vet it what are the consequences do we have all of it but it would not have been should we really do this what i think we
0: don't know <laughs> and i think this is the point is we don't have very much insight into those very issues which usually <laughs> a journalism organization will provide if you can that is how do we get it who produced it how do we know that it's authentic I'm sure, judging by the fact that the court itself confirmed this is real, I'm sure that Politico went through some significant vetting before they decided to uh, publish. Obviously, they had it for a little while, at least they didn't just rush it out there into the uh, internet. But it shows the value of aggressive journalism when you're able to change the terms of the debate by simply publishing news. And that's what they've done. So that's good. And to the point that I think Rosemary was making is that the far greater issue here is the substance of what it revealed than this. And this is kind of a broader moment of departure for the court's practices. The basic legitimacy of the Supreme Court has been somewhat called into question, isn't it a more partisan institution than it used to be? Aren't the justices a bit less circumspect in general than they used to be? So I think that is a moment that needs further reporting, isn't it? It does, and I'll tell you why, because I think we are coming to a point now where the very existence
2: of the form of the Supreme Court is now at question. I know that what has happened here is that the right wing, the Republicans, have grabbed a hold of the court, and the court is now functioning as a sort of political, institutional mouthpiece. And that, of course, may lead to somebody coming up with a correct answer we knew, need to do something to reform what was once a respectable institution. And I think that may happen.
1: I'm, I'm not sure, and I'm not a historian, I'm not sure that the politicization of the court is new. I think what is new is, and as it relates to what we talk about at this table, there's so much media, there's so much more media, there's so much more partisan media, that the microscopic look that is taken at everything that the court does probably always existed, but would never with the kind of uh, playing field that we have now just so many comments and commentators out there that the fact that there is the political bias is more significant in our consciousness than ever before. No,
3: I think there's something different about this. There's always been liberal and conservative leanings, but never before that I know of has there been a court groomed to come to this decision that the Federalist Society picked only judges who, who would challenge Roe v. Wade. Trump promised that he would appoint no one who would not challenge Roe v. Wade. And he had three justices. The court doesn't just look rigged, it is rigged
1: to doesn't come to this exact back, decision. It doesn't go back at least into Bork, which is what three decades ago. I mean, in other words, it's not something that is brand new today.
0: The right will tell you that, that it goes back because Bork was grilled to the point that his nomination was withdrawn. The question is, was he a suitable nominee for the Supreme Court in the first place? Certainly it goes back to, however, you could trace this to Mitch McConnell, to his theft of a Supreme Court seat from Barack Obama, but that wouldn't have actually changed the majority. You'd still have a 5-4 court on this ruling, I think. So, anyway, we're getting beyond the journalism issue here, but certainly it's something that we broadly journalists will be tracking in the days and weeks ahead. We have just celebrated, by the way, on another point, International Press Freedom Day, which theme this year was journalism under digital siege, the growing risk that journalists face online including digital surveillance, online threats and harassment, laws meant to stifle digital reporting. But it's relevant to note that 18 journalists have died covering the war in Ukraine. In Mexico last year, nine journalists were murdered for doing their job. This is not a safe field in many places of the country, many places of the world. And in this country, there is a lot of digital harassment that confronts journalists. I don't know what you can do about that. I, I don't know what we can do, given the fact that we have had, especially during the Trump term, an administration that was blatantly hostile, urging people, in fact, to attack journalists. What do you do about that?
3: It's affecting students, you know. Come do a job that's low pay, low prestige, really insecure, oh, and you might get killed. It has an impact on young people coming into the field. I think that's the worst thing.
1: People who are killed in war zones, you just can't say enough about their bravery and the dangers that they voluntarily face. I'm sort of interested, though, as well about whether or not there's been an increase in domestic violence of journalists. It seems to me that there was a time when, I'll use the word mob advisedly, but the mob would stay away from mm. shooting the press or whatever, until there was that incident, I think, in Arizona some years ago. It was Don Bowles, Bowles. 1972. Where he was car bombed. Am I yeah. remembering His that correct? And Carlos that seemed to be that, at some point in time, they said, oh, we'll get them, too, They're if they're in our way. That's a relatively new development, I think. We Saw it in some of the cases, to a lesser degree, some of the protests last year, are civil rights protests when cops would detain journalists And threaten arrests and maybe even arrest journalists for Mm -hmm. at least a short amount of time. That's all relatively new.
2: Well, that's interesting, Ira. Do you think that the reason that it's relatively new is that the press is now perceived—I think it's been around for a while—is perceived as being from the left and that these attacks come from the more conservative or right-wing groups?
1: My opinion is that there are more people in this country who now view the press as the enemy of the people.
0: Yeah, but it's not just in this country You know, there used to be that having the word Press on your back was a protection When I was covering the Civil War In El Salvador briefly, I actually got a white T-shirt that on the back said, I've told you this Before, periodista no dispare Which means journalists don't shoot And it was something of a joke for the uh, Journalists in El Salvador, but In fact, it worked, and you would put TV On the side of your car and masking tape Because that was sort of international lingo for media Now, that's not the case But I think you're right that even domestically Uh, the, The sheriff in Los Angeles County last week threatened to say that an L.A. Times reporter could be subject to criminal investigation because there was a series of stories that made his department, the sheriff's department, look bad. The sheriff then had to walk it back when there was outrage, but the threat of criminal investigation coming from officials of law enforcement for doing the job of reporting. That was not his
1: first rodeo either. That sheriff in Los Angeles has had that reputation for at least several years, and he underwent a significant amount of press criticism about how he handled the Tiger Woods case. Tiger Woods almost killed himself in a vehicle, and the whole investigation seemed designed to get Tiger Woods in the clear that he was was just a victim of an accident as opposed to something he may have generated himself. But the point is, the press was very hard on that sheriff, so he's got some baggage.
3: The biggest reason that journalists are increasingly beaten and killed is that they don't get punished for it. Uh, Even Don Bowles going back to the 70s and still to this day, assaults and trouble for journalists is relatively rare in the United States compared to elsewhere in the world. But even then, they got his trigger they didn't get the mastermind. Mm -hmm. Who, Who ordered the hit on Don Bowles? We still don't know that. And places where I've worked, journalists have been killed. They've certainly been beaten up and threatened physically, not just a nasty little email, physically threatened. And nothing happens, and that's state inaction. And police don't put a high priority on it. Might as well, you know, be a wife who's saying your husband's beating you up in Serbia as to report, you know, harassment as a journalist. One
0: of the important Um, things in this country is, and going back all that time to the Don Bowles murder, the notion that then emerged was a whole lot of reporters descended upon Arizona to finish the investigation that he was doing. Mm. And the organization that Rosemary used to head, investigative reporters and editors, really took wing at that time. That was what led to the IRE growth... And that is, I think, the appropriate press response to threats to journalists in both physical threats and threats to cut off access. You, like a hive of bees, uh, you then go and pursue that reporting to stand up for that reporting.
3: Well, what seems to be lost There used to be a connection between reporters and the people. And so you could say, oh, my God, this reporter was killed trying to bring you a story. And people would be upset about it. They're not now. Now it's like, eh, you know, journalists, they deserve it. And a lot of that is Trump, a whole
1: lot of that. Is I was just going to say, when you look at Trump's rallies and they, he puts the reporters in a pen and then he gets up on the stage and points them. to them and mocks them and, and it invites the crowd to turn and curse at, at them. And to my knowledge, not worse than that, but it makes certainly uncomfortable to be in that pen. But a part of fascism has always been an attack on the press.
0: Mm. The connection to the people I mean, think about Tucker Carlson Has a connection to his people The New York Times Just did this massive Three-part investigation Of Tucker Carlson Detailed reporting Remarkable insight Into how this actually Failed reporter who has become the number one primetime host on cable. So there is something to be said there. There's a connection to his audience. I'm trying to say something he, nice about Tucker Carlson. He,
3: he doesn't do journalism. Yes. He does propaganda. He's kind of just drilling into his the heads of his minions. He is a cult leader. And that series, which I've not finished, I have to give that caveat, is based on detailed analysis, not interviews, but detailed analysis of his segments where he says the same tropes over and over again. It's drilling and inculcating his viewers with a particular point of view. I would just
2: point out, I know that this will be met with disdain by all of you. That there will be people who say the same thing, Rex and Rosemary, about the New York Times. They will say it's nothing but a political institution that puts out one-sided lies and and reporting. Now, I don't believe that, but I do think that one of the ways that people deal with the the press is to try to say, well, you know, they're they're getting what they deserve.
0: Both-sidism is what that is on the part of our consumers— Tucker Carlson is basically a white nationalist. That's what he is. It is blatant racism that masquerades as thoughtful commentary. And I really do think that Rupert Murdoch is a pox on the world. And
2: um, You've said that before, and (laughs) I I can say this to you, Rex. If you believe it, it's very important to me because, you know, I have ultimate respect for you. Nevertheless, part of the name-calling that goes on around all of this press is that the press is pretty powerful And people are worried about the damage they can do to their side so they write me they write rosemary they write you they let you know that they think you're being unfair that is the history of the press in the united states
1: well as rosemary pointed out the investigative work on this particular series was remarkable they they took the reporter nick Confessari. i thought he had left the paper because I never saw him on tv or his byline he essentially worked on this story for about a year He and his uh, associates watched over a thousand episodes of Tucker Carlson and, and analyzed it. And as a sidebar, this was a great example, not only of investigative work, but of in its presentation to the public, the old world meets the new world. Because part three, which is really only available to read digitally, has all of these clips that support the premise of the the piece it just was a remarkable yeah. piece of work i think. by the way i don't think it broke very much ground but i think it supported the positions that most people
2: had about tucker Carlson. but you will admit i think admit is one of those loaded words <laughs> <laughs> yes you will you will admit that there are people who think that Carlson's a hero, that he tells the truth, that the liberals are after him, and therein lies a, a huge problem.
1: I can't remember where I read this. I'm sure we've said it on this program before, but it gave credit to Roger Ailes, the founding father of the Fox News Channel, who early on sowed the seeds of discontent against the mainstream press by saying you can't trust them. And the word that has been used regarding Tucker Carlson and others is it has inoculated them. Yes. Yes that they will read something like this in the New York Times, maybe, but will not believe it. They've been injected with the don't believe the press. And once you start from that premise and you don't believe you can believe anything in the press, how do you reach them? How do you, How do they get to absorb the facts in that story?
0: And it feeds into the American psyche where we want to have our independence. And so people, even who are not fans of Fox News, will say, well, I am I don't believe everything I read in the media which is fine. You shouldn't. But it uh, the notion that the media is out to get Tucker, that we are the aggrieved viewers, really, and therefore you can't trust anything you read, that actually has permeated beyond the Fox News audience. Uh, there's widespread distrust in traditional media globally, and that's not just because of the brilliance of Roger Ailes but it certainly does sort of feed on itself doesn't it
3: well and even when the press does its job we feed into that the New York Times has gone after Tucker Carlson three-part series one expensive reporter spending a year on it before that it's been Hannity it was O'Reilly they have gone after these Fox News figures because they are powerful that is the job of the press is to examine how the powerful are performing but It also does look like persecution, and Trump got a lot of that, too. He was examined, I don't think, more than other uh, presidents, perhaps with more glee when we found things wrong about him, and there was a lot to find. But it looks to his supporters like we're going after him. Doing your job makes you look like you're in the wrong.
0: But, you know, think about your students, Rosemary, at uh, University of Albany. You're saying it's hard to draw them to journalism, uh, given right. the threats and the reality of the jobs. They would probably love to be Tucker Carlson. They, would lo- they probably sure. aspire to that kind of a sure. role.
3: Sure, to be a celebrity. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, yep. If you
0: thing-
3: can't fit into Marilyn Monroe's dress, you can be <laughs> Tucker Carlson.
2: <laughs> well, I, I knew Marilyn Monroe.
1: Oh, yes, on Fire Island.
0: Is that right? Have you heard of Fire Island? No, I'm not. You know, speaking of the bad news for the media, oh, boy, Lee Enterprises, which is a company that has a lot of community newspapers in New York State. It owns Glens Falls, Auburn, and in the last couple of years, the Buffalo News, which they bought from Berkshire Hathaway from Warren Buffett. Lee Enterprises now has been laying off many employees. This is an outfit that has really done pretty well over the years by comparison to other community journalism organizations. But
2: it does speak direct to the state of contemporary journalism, right? I mean,
0: the the idea
2: that we would talk about layoffs about a particular institution here on the media project is nothing new because we've been talking about it for years.
0: And what's interesting is it's not just print, though. I was drawn to this report this week, and, and most of our listeners will not have any idea what I'm Talking about when I say quartz sold for less than $10 million. I'm not talking about quartz, the mineral. I'm talking about the global business news site that just a dozen years ago was hailed as the future of journalism. You know, this innovative storytelling digitally, you know, experimenting with all these formats and new technologies to drive engagement and everything. Quartz, which actually had already fallen in twenty eighteen, it sold for eighty six million and which was far below what its original market capitalization. Selling for one X, it sold for the equivalent of one year of revenues, ten million dollars, suggests that even in the digital world, journalism is not valued.
2: I wish I could tell you, and I don't know if it's unrelated or not, but I wish I could tell you that when we advertise for a prestigious job here, being our correspondent in our Hudson Valley We can't find anybody who's applying for the jobs.
1: Hmm. Well, this business with Lee brings two things to mind for me. One is that my company, which has been vilified, my former company, for doing this was just ahead of its time. I mean, they, they started <laughs> cutting people to save expenses a, quite a long time, and, and many others, if not most, even in private company like Hearst, has followed with layoffs. It's a shell of what it once was, isn't all it? The, all newspapers are shell, relatively speaking, except perhaps the New York Times and Washington Post. The other thing is, though, I think we are in a shakedown period regarding digital. We, I think you guys talked a little bit about it last week about the streaming services and mm-hmm. what happened with CNN Plus and how they mm-hmm. pulled the plug on that as quickly as they did. We're still in the formative stages of this technology and in, as it relates to digital, where it looked at like a, a robust growth business and it still may well be a robust growth business, but not to the extent that was originally conceived. And I mean, look at Netflix and what's happened with its stock in, in recent weeks. They just Just of, uh, I don't even remember what the core issue anymore is, but there's just a general sense of, wait a minute, let's hold our horses before we commit too much to these companies.
0: But if you believe in the value of reporting, both locally and globally, that people need information that goes beyond their own point of view, they need serious journalism, how do you make that happen? If even the new technology, the new storytellers are flailing and the old guys can't find the talent, in Alan's case, can't sustain their business enterprise, what are you to do? Right, there
1: is silence mm-hmm. uh, This is yeah, what's it's called a, dead it's air a It's a significant <laughs> problem for this country and society There is a questioning of the accuracy And the bias, if alleged bias in information If in fact you're seeking out information at all And I don't know that there is a lot of that
0: What about diversity as a, as a vehicle, as a path out here? If our newsrooms really reflect what's going on in their communities If the journalists are reflective of who they're covering Is that not going to be something of a sustaining element? Well, this
2: is a point you've made for years, Rex, and I, I'm sure you're right, but it is worrisome that when you look at the number of people who are working for any of our institutions, you're not finding the kind of diversity that you're referring to, I don't think, Rosemary.
1: Well, you're not, but it's because, A, there is no place to put the people who should be in oh, your news, I but also know. that there is apparent an unwillingness. They're in quite demand. If the New York Times is competing for the same person as is Absolutely. the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, guess who's not going to get that person That's right. so how do you fill those slots but there's no question that the diverse newsroom is a better newsroom it's a more incisive newsroom. you disagree Rosemary look, well, I, to I've, read been, your I've
3: been hearing this since I got out of journalism Absolutely school in right. 1972 it's the same stuff over and over again it's really not at the reporter rank it has to be at the editorial rank where you have to have diversity and we do have that more now than we ever have and I still don't see a big change mm-hmm. I think something else has happened uh, news is not valued as a commodity in minority communities and why should it be they're usually the victim of it. it has not we have not done well by them and this has been generations in the making
1: but if you take a, an industry that is predominantly white whether it's the news industry or any other industry and it's been predominantly white because that's how they hired way back when now now all of those white people who are still there and have are functioning are the senior most people where is there room for the diversity, blacks, the Asians, whatever? Yeah. But, uh, but it's it, not it, I just race. I don't, race. Know. I don't
2: it, know. I can tell you that it, it, at this institution that we're speaking from right now and at so many newspapers, there is an aggressive... Need to find more people who are diverse, and
0: it's not that they don't want them; it's that they can't get them. Yeah, absolutely. It, but it's not just race; it's gender, it's, yes, it's age, class. it's, class. And it's, it's geography, economic class, economic class. Yeah. and that that kind of diversity right. will hopefully deliver the kind of storytelling, the kind of stories, actually that uh, will resonate with consumers. this is
3: why books are not in trouble or many magazine articles and magazines are not in trouble because they go out and recruit people for specific stories Mm -hmm. whereas a newspaper
1: as opposed to a full-time employee they can just do a specific job interesting
0: okay we are out of time sad to say Mm -hmm. wide-ranging conversation thank you all for joining us Alan Shartok Ira Fussfeld Rosemary Mayo and Rex Smith with gratitude To our producer, David Gostina, and to you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project.
1: The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.
0: Headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers of freedom of the press.